Well, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Good to see you this morning. It's great to uh, be back. Went to Seahawks game last Sunday. It was a good day, good game. They won. Thanks to Pastor Barry for filling in uh, for me uh, last week. Heard he did a great job. Was that true? No? Good, good. That is good. Well, a couple of things before uh, I get started uh, this morning. I uh, see that baby Avery is here with us uh, today, I think, for the first time. So, yeah, go ahead. We've been praying for Alina and Avery uh, for the last month or so. And so great uh, to see them uh, here this morning. And then secondly, it has uh, to do with the Building Together uh, campaign that we're currently in as a, a church. Um, we have a family uh, in our church that came to me and said uh, this. They said... Um, we are want, want to put out a challenge uh, to our church, and uh, the challenge is this, is that every dollar that comes in or every fourth-year pledge that comes in, up to $50,000, this family will match uh, those dollars, okay? So a uh, good way to turn $50,000 into $100,000 really quickly, and so I uh, want to encourage you uh, that way if you uh, haven't uh, been involved in the Building Together campaign, maybe to consider uh, that uh, this morning. All right, uh, Revelation 17 and 18. Uh, this, uh, I got to tell you, this morning is one of those passages, right? There are some incredible uh, things that God has to say to us today. It, uh, it is also a very difficult uh, passage of Scripture uh, this morning. If I said, think about uh, the city, New Orleans or Chicago or Detroit, what kind of picture comes to uh, your mind? Maybe the sins of the eyes comes to mind. Maybe sins of the flesh come to mind. When I say the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, what, what comes to your mind? Right? Probably like the lust of the flesh. It's probably what got Lot in big trouble. There's a city in the Bible called Babylon. Any pictures come to mind when you think of that city? As we look at chapter 17 and 18, the book of Revelation, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn with me to chapter 17. The, God, God says, here's a picture that, that I want you to get concerning this important city. And if you really want a picture of the city in, uh, in the Bible, you have to go not to the last book, but to the first book. In, in Genesis, in chapter 11, there, there's this place called Babel. It's a tower, and you can quickly see the similarities here. Babel and Babylon, right? And, and so the heart that's in Babylon starts in Babel. Genesis uh, 11, 3 through 9 says this. They said to each other, come, let let us make bricks and, and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and, and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down 
to see the city and, and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them for, from there all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so now back to Revelation, the spirit that was in this place called Babel was scattered over the entire earth and it's still scattered. And the spirit that is in the place called Babylon, which is commonly referred to as the cradle of civilization, is the spirit of mankind. It's our civilization. It's our organization. It's all about going against God and setting ourselves up to what? Be a God. Setting ourselves up to be this supreme authority in the universe. And, and that's what this is all about. It's more than a place. It's like an attitude. Right? It's the attitude of let us make bricks so we can be proud of ourselves. Right? So we can say that, look, we did it without God. Let us build a great city so we can look at only ourselves. Let, let us make a name for ourselves. And, and let us not be scattered over the, the entire earth. And yet, that is exactly what happened to them. And anyone in John's day who read this about Babylon, the name would be so familiar to them, just like New Orleans or Chicago is to us. And they would have immediately pictured some things in their minds about Babylon. And the Old Testament is filled with pictures, not just the Tower of Babylon, but of this place called Babylon. And you might remember from reading the Old Testament that Babylonia was one of the countries that attacked Israel, right? And they took people captive for uh, 70 years had him in exile. And you might remember Isaiah and some of the other prophets. They talk about this city as being one of the sources of evil in the world of that day. And so John's readers would have clearly understood that this is a picture of a place that set itself up against God, this was a place where commercially and socially and religiously, it was in opposition to God and who he was. You might remember reading in the New Testament, some the, like three channels of evil that's in the world today, right? Three ways temptation and evil come into our lives, right? It comes through the world, it comes through the flesh, and, and it comes uh, through the devil himself. Right, So the flesh, that's what's inside of us. That's why we can't say, like, the devil made me do it, right? We make choices and decisions. And, and the world, that is the philosophy of it, the direction of it, the system of it. And then we have the devil and the way he goes around tempting us. And so this morning, we're going to look at God's description and God's um, his perspective 
on this place called Babylon from chapter 17 and 18 in the book of Revelation. And I think you'll find that it sounds uh, fairly familiar. You will see more and more how this place has something to say uh, to our lives today and how this place, as God describes it, has something to say uh, about how uh, God wants to work in an everyday uh, kind of way in each of our lives. All right, let's get to it. Number one, the description uh, of Babylon. Babylon is this picture of the world, right? This system that, that we all live in, that, that's in um, entrenched in a worldly resistance to God. And Revelation 17 begins to walk us through this description of what Babylon is like. And we see five parts of this civilization that sets itself up to be against uh, God, and this is what we live in each and every day, right? So you have physical Babylon, and then you have like a spiritual Babylon, and we're going to see the uh, the 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 um, uh, the similarities to uh, our world in which we live uh, in today. The, the, this is what can happen; doesn't have to, but it can keep us from worshiping God like. We want to from really focusing our lives on him uh, like we want to. So the first description of Babylon is a woman sitting on a scarlet uh, beast. So uh, Revelation chapter 17 verse 3 says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman uh, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven uh, heads and ten horns. Right, so this is a picture of uh, who Babylon is, and the color red throughout the Bible, and especially in this book, is a picture of Satan and sin. Right, this is a reminder to us that the father of the city is the devil. Right, Satan is the source of all evil; it's the power behind the world's system. But, but, but at the same time. Right? We have to be careful not to blame the devil, uh, for our choice to sin. It's Im- important to name the devil as the source of sin, but, but the fact that, that we choose to, to sin is not like the devil's fault, right? It's our choice. And that's why God holds what? He holds me directly accountable for my sin. Do you remember when you first became parents and and, and you have your kids and, and something happened and, and you remember what you said to them and then you realized what was coming out of your mouth was exactly what your parents told you. Right? We've all done that. Well, what, why does that happen? Well, it's because we identify with our parents because they raised us, right? And we spend a huge amount of time uh, with them. So if Satan is the father of the world system, then guess what our world looks like, right? Satan is a liar. So guess what? Our world is filled with what? With lies, right? Satan twists whatever is good. And so our world is filled with people who twist what is good. 
Satan comes to accuse. And so the world is filled with critics and, and people that love to accuse. Right? If you don't believe me, just check out Facebook sometime. Right? You'll figure it out. Right? My point is, is that as we look at the world, it's not hard to see the characteristics of Satan in it. And those of us that, that are here today, and, and if you're a believer in Christ, you know Christ. Because you know Christ, you're becoming more and more like what? Our Heavenly Father. And we look more and more like Him in the way that we treat people and love people, in the way we care about people. See, see that's the difference. The, the, the second description of Babylon is the woman was dressed in purple and Scarlet, first part of Revelation 17, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold jewels and pearls. And so here we see the lavishness uh, in this place called Babylon, right? Glittering with gold and precious stones. Uh, and in this world system, its focus is materialism, right? Sound familiar? So, so as we walk through Babylon, we're going to see its past, its present, and its future fulfillments and, and what this city is all uh, about. And when we look at the book of Revelation, it, it, when it was written, it's pretty evident that, that Rome was probably the Babylon of the day. Right? It, it held the world's power. It was a place of materialism. The Roman Empire was pretty affluent and, and was a wasteful place and and like one of the favorite drinks at a party in Rome back in the day was they they would melt expensive pearls and then add vinegar to it and then they would drink it right sound good do you know why they did that because they could Right, Just to say that they could spend anything they wanted to spend. And I think, like, do we see that today? Do we see that kind of materialism? I think we do. But then, then the third description is that she held a, a golden cup in her hands. So the last part of verse 4, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And so if you read the Old Testament, especially back in that day, you would have immediately understood what this vision was all about, right? Jeremiah 51 uh, verse 7, because Jeremiah 51 is this prophecy of the physical uh, downfall of Babylon, the, the first Babylon, and the Babylon that, that took Israel captive, that, that eventually God released his people to go back. Uh, to the promised land. And, and there's this prophecy in the book of Jeremiah about the fact that Babylon will physically fall. Right? It's verse 7. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand, and she made the whole earth drunk, and the nations drank her wine. Therefore, they have not, uh, or they have now gone mad. And Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. Right? John here talks about how how Babylon will fall physically, spiritually, and how immorality not only impacts individuals, but, but it also influences the, the entire world. And, and that's the kind of place that Babylon uh, is. 
All right, the fourth description this morning is this title was written on her forehead. The title was Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of All Prostitutes and of the Abominations of uh, the Earth. What a picture uh, that is. Right, it's verse 5 in the text. And what we see here is that its business is prostitution. Now, some of you have been coming to our church for 10, 15 years now. I'm, I'm fairly confident, and I, I will bet you that's the first time you have written prostitution as a fill-in uh, here at our church, right? But, but, but that's its business. And, and this probably was not a surprise to the people who have read the Old Testament back then, right? The picture of a harlot is, is often used in the text. Isaiah talks about Tyree, one of the nations, being a harlot because of their unfaithfulness. Nineveh in Nahum, right, is talked about being a prostitute because of unfaithfulness. And then in Ezekiel 16, 15, even Jerusalem, Israel itself, called unfaithful and a prostitute and a harlot because of the unfaithfulness that it showed to God, right? The one that, that, that loved her the most, it says, but you trusted in your beauty and you've used your fame to become a prostitute. You've lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. Why, why does God use that picture? Well, why does he use a picture uh, of a prostitute and a harlot? Well, well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is with prostitution, the relationship is what? It's purely a transaction, right? It's a commercial or business relationship. And and, and he's talking about what the world is like. And and relationships are commercial and they're transactional in nature. This is what the world system is like, right? It's all about what I can get out of the system. And the second reason is, I think, because this picture uh, of prostitution is taking something that God uh, made to be good, something that God made to be perfect, to glorify himself, and it's wasting it to do evil. And what God's saying is, is that, you know what, I've given you these good gifts. I, I gave you this opportunity, this nation. I gave you this influence. And instead of using it to impact the world, you prostituted it. Right there, there's a difference in values, and God looks at us with incredible value, but the world doesn't. God looks at you and I as believers and says, "You were bought with a price," and the world says, "I'll buy you for a price." Two different ways of looking at it. Always remember that you were bought with a price. The, the, the price of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you. So, so that you and I could live eternally. Never forget that. Never waste that. Number five description is that she is drunk with, with the blood of the saints. Now, now this is not talking about being atheist. This isn't saying that they don't believe in God. This is saying this is an anti-God mindset it's not just about ignoring people of faith it's about killing people of faith why because they can't stand to be in the presence of the truth and it's hard to do when you're living a lie 
And so you look at the descriptions of materialism and transactions and you hear the, the religion is anti-God and, and look at our world today. See any of that? Right? To really understand this place called Babylon, we have to understand what the Bible says about how it was built and why it was built. And this beast that, that, that this city is with this woman that's resting on it. And, and so the angel who revealed this to John also explains this to him. Look at verses 6 through 10 uh, with me this morning. And, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, uh, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of, of the woman and the beast uh, with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. And the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And, and the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And this calls for a mind with wisdom. Seven heads of seven mountains on which... The wisdom is seated, and there are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet to come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while, clear as mud, huh? Right? So, so, so let's try to unpack this a little bit this morning, right? We have first the, the drunk with blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And so the woman not only persecutes, but she reveals in her persecution of, of the godly as a drunk that, that enjoys oneself in a night of partying and drinking. That's what this is talking about. And then John says, I marveled with great amazement. Why did, what was John amazed? Right? Because this isn't like pagan persecution like they knew in their day. But, but this is religious error and persecution. Right? This is like pseudo church. This is like thirsty for the blood of the saints. Right? This is false religion, which is always the, the worst enemy of true religion. And we should never forget that some of the most vicious persecution conducted against true Christians has been done in the name of the church. Right? Like in the days of the Roman Catholic Queen Mary ruled England, known as Bloody Mary, right? For a good reason. Some 288 Christians were burnt at the stake for their stand for Christianity between 1555 and 1558. And the first guy that was martyred was a guy by the name of John Rogers. And he stood there and he was chained to the stake and the fire rose around him and up to his legs and his shoulders. And you know what he did? He rubbed his hands in the flames as if he were washing his hands in cold water. And then he lifted his hands to the heavens and he held them high until he was completely consumed by fire. And this brutal death was done in the name of religion, in the name of the church. But but Rogers went to the stake with such calm and such dignity that the French ambassador wrote that when he went to his death, it was as if he was walking to his wedding. 
And his courage was so evident that the huge crowd that was around him when he was burnt at the stake applauded when they saw him approaching that stake. And then in verse 7, the angel tells John that the harlot will be explained to him. And he says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. And the focus uh, of the explanation is on the beast. And it appeared that the harlot ruled the Antichrist system. But, but he is the, the dynamic factor, right? Using her as rulers have always used religion. As a mere tool to accomplish their purposes. And then in verse 8, we see the beast that you saw was and is not. And is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction and the beast carrying the woman is plainly connected with the beast of Revelation chapter 13. In verse 9, we have the seven mountains associated with the beast. This calls for a mind of wisdom, seven heads and seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And many, many quickly associate the seven mountains with Rome because Rome is well known as the city uh, on seven hills. Except literally, the Greek word there means mountain, not hills. So so many commentators regard the seven mountains as this irrefutable connection with Rome. But I think it's probably better to see the seven mountains as representing the seven kings and kingdoms that are described in verse 10. There are also seven kings and five of whom have fallen and one is and the other is not yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And again, I know this is one of the most difficult passages in Revelation. And some explain these seven kings, five past and one present and one to come in the succession of the Roman emperors in John's era. But but I think there are many historical difficulties with that approach. And more likely, this is a reference to five that have fallen, refers to the five world empire before John's day, right? Egypt and Assyria and Babylonia and the Mede and Persia and Greece. And then the one refers to the world empire of John's day, Rome. And then the other has not yet come yet, refers to the one world empire to come. And that's probably the revival of the Roman Empire. And then it says, when he comes, he must continue a short time. And and this seven will quickly be taken over by an eighth and will become the state of the Antichrist. And the eighth belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And so he is of the seven in this sense. He shares characteristics with all previous empires. But his fate is clear. The beast will be destroyed. And God will defeat evil once and for all. And But before, the, the beast will make war against the lamb, right? We looked at that a, a couple of weeks ago. Right to the end, Satan and his people will keep on battling, right? They're going to they're gonna battle God till, till the end, thinking that they're going to win. And then the Bible also says this about the beast in verses 12 through 14, and the ten horns that you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they too will receive authority as the kings for one hour together with the beast. 
And these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and, and they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and, and faithful. Right? And, and then in verses 15 and 18, he says, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where, where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, that they are the beast and they will hate the prostitute. And they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out the purpose uh, uh, by being of one mind, handling over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are are fulfilled. And, And the woman that you saw is a great city that has dominion of the kings of the earth. And so this beast will ruin Babylon. And two things about this. One is the harlot is destroyed by the beast. Why? Because evil eventually consumes itself, right? It, it has to. That's what evil is. It turns on itself. And then secondly, the Bible tells us that God put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. And so we read about these horrible pictures of this beast with seven horns and heads. And, and yet God put it into the heart of this beast to accomplish his Purpose. And remember the four words that we talked about last time? What were they? God is in what? Control. Right? He is in control even in this last ditch effort by Satan. And then one final thing in this description, I want you to know that Babylon is actually like a nice place to live. Right, it, it probably would be in the top ten places in the world to, to live by today's standards. It has commercial success. It was a wealthy place. People' needs were catered to. It's a center of power. People like living there. Right, it appeals to their sense of pride. It gratifies their need for pleasure. But but can I say this this morning that God has a different plan for us. Right? Babylon is the opposite of God's plan. Babylon, the woman, is the unholy opposite to the bride of Christ that we will look at in a few chapters. And Babylon, the city that rules over the kings of the earth, Babylon pictured as the city is the ungodly opposite to the new Jerusalem that we'll see in chapters to come. And yet sometimes I think even as believers we get sucked in to the attractiveness of Babylon. Right? How attractive the system that we live in is. And because in Babylon we get what we want when we want it. But, but in the end we find out it's not what we really wanted at all. And so God has a new plan, a new Jerusalem. And we get what God wants and when he wants to give it to us. And in the end we find out that, that that's what we wanted all along. Right? That's the difference between the two. Let's move on quickly here this morning as we look at God's perspective of Babylon. All right, we get to chapter 18. We're going to see God's perspective. There are four voices in this chapter that you hear, four pronouncements from a power angel that, that helps us recognize how human history is put in perspective by understanding God's perspective on Babylon. And so these four voices put into perspective the world leader of the end times and the power of the end times that will set itself up ultimately against God. 
right? Jeremiah 51 and 52, if you want to study more about that, is about the fall of Babylon. So, so there's no city called Babylon today because God said there would never be that again. So that's what happened, right? So the first voice that we see in chapter 18 is the voice of condemnation, uh, verses 1 through 3. After I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place for demons, a hunt for every uh, unclean spirit, a hunt for every unclean bird, a hunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed an immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of, the, of her luxurious living. Right? So, So all... The power that sets itself up uh, against God uh, will one day, what? It, it will fall. It, it's going to fall. God's perspective is, is that Babylon will fall. And God is known from the very beginning when they first built the tower, when, when they first bit into the apple from, and before he created the heavens and the earth, he knew that what? This is what is going to happen. So, so let's say I have two companies that I hold stock in, and one of the stock is valued by a lot of people, and, and right now it's worth a lot, but, but I know that eventually it's going to tank and it's going to be worth nothing. And then I have this other stock, and I get a tip that, that this stock is going to increase in value forever. Right? Without a doubt, it's going to double, it's going to split, it's going to double again. It will increase in value forever. Those that are wise investors, what, what, which one what would you buy? Well, my financial planner son would tell me, but do, do what? He would say, buy the second one, right? The problem is that sometimes we fail to invest our lives into what we know is going to increase in the end because of temptation and because of sin. Right? We just don't see it from our perspective. We see that what we're investing in our lives right now, that, that, that one day, we don't see that one day it's going to be destroyed. And yet we can invest our lives into something that will last forever. And I believe if I could see that more often, I'd probably live my life differently on a daily basis. So, so God's perspective on the world system is that we're surrounded by is that one day it's going to fall. Right? You, you can count on that. But his kingdom is going to last forever. All right, the second voice that we see here is the voice of separation. Verses 4 through uh, 8. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds." Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she's mixed. And as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like, uh, or give her a, a like measure of torment and mourning since her heart. She says, I sit as a queen and I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. And for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. 
So, so God's perspective in those words is come out of her, my people. Right? Come out of her, my people. Jeremiah 51, verse 45, the fall of physical Babylon, same words repeated. It says, go out of the midst of her, my people. And in that case, from the actual city that was going to fall. But, but in our case, as believers, isn't it, it's wise since we know where this world is headed to separate ourselves from it. I mean, think about this. Why hang on? This is a perspective that helps us live godly lives to separate from the world, separate from its values and its passions. So, so how do you do that? So, so the obvious question that I always get is this. Does that mean like I can't watch my favorite TV show anymore? Right? Or football? Ooh, that's... Maybe because there are worldly passions in that. How do we work it out in the real world? How do we separate from Babylon? How do you come out of her? How do you come away from her? And I think this is actually one of the most confusing things for Christians today. We, we live in the world and yet Jesus told us to what? Live in the world but not be what? Of the world. So, so how do you do that? Well, I think there are two extremes, right? The, and these extremes are often confuse us as believers. And so one extreme says to come out of her really means not to have any connection at all. And so we're just going to go live like a monk, you know, off in the wilderness someplace and not have any connection uh, with the world at all. Right? And there are groups that, that do that. Like one of the groups today are the Amish people, right? They have separated themselves from the world. There's no connection at all. And I think a form of that can happen to us as believers, as Christians as well, right? Sometimes we build this Christian subculture into our lives and we watch TV, but only like TBN, right? Or we'll go to a movie, but the last movie was like, God's not dead. That's the one that we go to. Right? And if you're in doubt, then you just stick a fish symbol on it and we're good. <laughs> right? We have this subculture. And so we build this subculture and we have limited contact with the world and we seldom influence the world for Christ. And somehow I don't think that's right either. And so those are, that's one extreme. The other extreme is the other way. You think, I don't want to be like those people, so I'll look just like the world, right? Where, where there's no difference at all. And the theory is, is that I have freedom in Christ, so I can do whatever I want. I can talk however I want. I can drink whatever I want. I can, I can do whatever I want. I think Paul put it this way when he was asked that question. He said, may it never be. And the best picture of that in the Old Testament, I think, is Lot, who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot was the only believer in the city, and everybody knew he was a believer. And everybody knew he should be different, but he tried to act like that wasn't true. Then I have to ask myself the question, do we, at times, act like that's not true? Maybe, Maybe at your office or at work, and you act like you're not a believer so you can fit in, right? And that doesn't work, really, because people know, right? 
that there's something about Christ coming into our lives that changes us. And they know it, and they feel uncomfortable with the fact that you're not acting like the heart and the passion that, that, that's in your life. And so how does this work if those two extremes don't work well? What, what, what's the answer? How do you live in Babylon and yet come out of her? Well, well, let me just quickly try to unpack this for a moment. When we realize that Jesus is here with us in Babylon... The, the way to be in the world but not of the world is to recognize that Christ came into this world so he could be a part of the world. And when we start to think, see things that way, it helps us to begin to live in this new paradigm. It, it gives us a new sensitivity to all the things that are around us. It begins to pour out onto those that we come in contact with. You, you know, I had two jobs before I... I uh, got into the ministry 27 years uh, ago. Uh, I worked for a company called Airborne Express, and I also worked for Costco. And, and at both of those jobs, without going into the details, because we don't have time this morning, but there was an opportunity to, to, to have an impact just by the way that, that I lived. Just by be, being sensitive to my surroundings, by allowing Christ to be present in my life. And by the way, it also changed my way of thinking, right? The places I went, the things I said to my coworkers. Jesus is here with us, and knowing that he is here helps us to live as followers of him. In John 2, John, in that letter, reminds us not to love the world or the things in the world. And the only way that I can think not to love the world is start to, to, to love Christ even more. The more I love Christ, the less I love this world. So, so trying to say I'm not going to love this or I don't want to do that, it, it, that really doesn't work. It'll work for a, for a time, but, but it doesn't work long term. But recognizing who Jesus is, that Jesus is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. He's so much greater and deeper. So, so why love the world when we can love Christ? And Christ is going to last for all eternity. This world's going to fade away. All right, a couple of other voices quickly. Number three, the voice of lamentation, verses 9 and 10. It says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and live in luxury with her will weep and wail over her, and they will see the smoke of her burning, and they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And God's perspective on this is because uh, of this, because of the phrase that, that comes up several times in verse 17, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. And, and then verse 19, and they threw the dust on their, on their heads and they wept and mourned and crying out, alas, alas, for the great city, all who had ships at the sea grew rich by her wealth. And for in a single hour, she has been laid to waste. So, so God's perspective on Babylon in three words here is a single hour. In one hour. In one hour it'll all be gone. In one hour all the treasure and the pleasure that's focused on this world will be gone. And what the, what, what's the point here? The point is that God is helping us to make sense of our world. Like why would we want to hold on to that? It helps us live in a new way. 
It helps us to live God's way. Okay, last one, fourth voice, the voice of celebration. Verse 20 through 24, uh, after the hour and Babylon has been brought down, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists and the musicians of the flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all who had been slain on earth. And so God's perspective here is that justice will be done, right? And here's the justice. Like a great stone being thrown into the sea, immediate uh, turbulence and violence, but then it's gone, and, and you don't even know it, 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 it was there. That's what's going to happen with the world system as it sets itself up uh, against God. Babel at the beginning was this place that, that, that talked about what we could do and let us make bricks and let us build a city and let us make a name for ourselves. Can I tell you today in the new Jerusalem, the, the heavenly city, a place that we're going to look at in the next week or two, it's an entirely different place. It's not a place of let us, right? It's a place where God made us. It's a place that God has made. It's a place that will have a new name and will not be scattered, but rather God gathers us together for all eternity. And that, my friends, is very good news. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. Father, my prayer this morning for us as a church is, is that you would protect us against the devil, God, protect us against materialism and immorality in our world system. Will we just pray a hedge of protection uh, around us this morning? And then, God, I pray that as we go out this next week in the highways and the byways of life, that, that we can live in this world but not of this world, God. God, would you give us uh, spiritual eyes to see? To, to, to have this sensitivity uh, of what's around us, God. And then, Father, my prayer is that we as a church would impact our world like it's never seen before. And then, Father, I pray that we can, we can rest. I pray that we can rest in the fact that, that one day you'll bring justice to our world. And so we don't have to worry about it. We, we can just rest in you today. God, give us a great week this next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
That was sweet. My bad. Sorry. There goes the music budget. Well, good morning. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for asking. Good to be back. I was at the uh, Seahawks game last week. It was a good day. I heard Barry did a good job here too. Is that right? Very good. Thank you, Pastor Barry, for filling in. Um, All right. We are in uh, Revelation 17 and 18 in our series uh, on the book of Revelation. So go ahead and take your Bibles out. Turn to Revelation chapter 17. And there are some incredible things that God has uh, to say to us today. If I said to you, think about uh, the city of New Orleans, Chicago, or Detroit, what kind of pictures uh, come uh, to your mind? Maybe it's sins of the eyes or, or sins of the flesh. When I say the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to your mind? 